Hi friends, before we get to this week's interview, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, enterprise device and firmware security experts, Eclipsium. Eclipsium ships an enterprise device platform that provides visibility and mitigation for malicious activity all the way down to the firmware and hardware level. It's really, really impressive technology and really, really impressive capabilities. Think of it as one platform to discover, inventory, assess risk, patch and detect compromises across your entire fleet of devices. Request a demo at Eclipsium.com, E-C-L-Y-P-S-I-U-M.com. Check them out today. Ah, welcome back to the show. My guest this week is Chris Castaldo. Chris Castaldo is the CISO at Crossbeam and the newest author of a new book called Startup Secure, Baking Cybersecurity into Your Company from Founding to Exit. Chris is a return guest on the Security Conversations podcast. How are you, Chris? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. The last time we spoke, you were director of security at Two U, and since then you've had two CISO gigs, uh, yes. both at startups. So we'll we'll get into the book in a second. But one thing that we haven't spoken about is your your path into security. So I guess it uh, started as a child. Um, you know, getting into computers. Um, my grandfather was really into them and introduced me to them. We built a. Uh, kit from Radio Shack um, when I was, gosh, five or six, something like that. Then um, there's probably a lull in there, you know, just played uh, video games, reading Rabbit, Tetris, like all the all the originals, SimCity, that was a favorite of mine. Then about um, middle school, I had a typing class, and um, this is the Yahoo days prior to, to Google being, you know, Everyone's saying, oh, go Google it. Um, yeah, back in the day when we thought the AOL was the internet, right? Yeah, you would log yeah, on exactly. with your AOL CD and you would think that's the internet, right? Yep. So um, then then my interest started popping up there, you know, once I, you know, actually learned to type and all of that stuff and discovered uh, 2600 and DEF CON and then started, you know, searching more and more and realizing like, hey, like you can... You do things with computers that wasn't intended to do. So I was really interested in that. Um, and, you know, that's, I think a lot of people uh, might get into cybersecurity for that reason. Like, you know, the red teaming, pen testing, like the stuff you see on the news and uh, the cool, sexy part, whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's so many other pieces to it that's, I think, that, that I think is interesting. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my path. And, here I am. So now. as a child, so all the way to childhood, you enjoyed tinkering and breaking stuff. Got into high school, got uh, uh, introduced to I don't want to call it the hacker world, but the, you know the the beginnings of tinkering around with networks and security and and that stuff. Did you decide to go into? Did you make a decision to go into uh, to study that in college? Like what what was your what was your thinking heading into college? And was cybersecurity in your mind at the time even a career thing, or this was just okay? I'm just going to go to school and figure things out. Oh yeah, that that was uh, definitely uh, before high school. I knew I wanted to do something with computers, um, something with information security, right? It wasn't, uh, was it called cybersecurity back then? Um, so that was, that, that was pretty concrete. I knew that's exactly what I wanted to, wanted to do when I grew up. Um, and then my path actually was um, a startup. Uh, that was my first job. Um, that went under. 
uh, in the dot-com bubble and uh, along with many other very qualified people, we're, we're all out of work, right, in, right. in the tech industry. So here you've got uh, this young young person with limited experience um, going up against people with you know, 10, 15, 20 years of experience that, that will um, – you know, take any job at that point, right? Every, every. But wait, you're fast forwarding to a whole period of time. Did you study? Did you? Did you? Did you? First of all, is there like a college bit in between there? Did you drop out of high college. school and decided not to go to college? And did you go right right, right to the workforce? Right to the workforce, uh, and then out of college uh, or out of high school? Out of high school. Fantastic. So let's yeah. talk about that a bit. So so out of high school, uh, you decide you were going to take a job in tech because of circumstances like what 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 was that you know what i'm gonna jump plunge into it rather than i'm incredibly impatient uh mm-hmm. and i did not want to wait right so there was uh you know a good good bit of tech jobs out there um there was enough entry level um opportunities out there so i saw the opportunity and Went after that, right? I like to do, I, and I think it's an important discussion for us to have, especially with a lot of young folks listen to this podcast and a lot of folks, uh, you know, looking to folks like you for mentorship is to understand, and, and this is not a knock on education and folks should stay in school. I just had this conversation with uh, uh, with uh, Shab Shah in the last episode of this podcast about whether he requires university degrees or whether he requires certifications to hire people within his organization when he himself didn't go to college and the whole notion of cyber, the whole notion of uh, uh, education versus experience and so on. So your, your story is a real classic story of someone who made a conscious decision. I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to go get my hands dirty on the ground yes. and working your way up from entry level uh, from the dot-com era. I'm guessing that's 2000, 2001 yep. to 2021, 20 years later, you're, you know, a recurring CISO at a, 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 a in in this industry, so I'm just I, I'm just curious. Your your story really resonates with a lot of folks who are trying to figure this out. Do you regret not going to college? Uh, I don't regret the order I did things in. I did uh, did go to college uh, years later uh, after joining the army, um, which you know provided that uh, financial capability to to do so. Right, I uh, certainly did not have um, that capability when I was uh, was younger. Right. Didn't have that option. So the dot-com bust happens. Uh, you're like everyone is looking for a job coming out of this tech space. Did, did you, this, is this, was this your introduction to security-specific things? And how did the Army come into play? Uh, that was, that's how the Army came into play. So that was the option. Um, oh, okay. I had uh, started doing some research, you know, looking for jobs. Um, and I started finding a lot of jobs that required this thing called a security clearance, which I didn't know what the hell that was. Um, and then started and researching. And you're, you're in the you're in the DC area, right? No, no, time? this is uh, um, this is West Coast. So uh, you're on the West Coast. Um, okay. Yeah. So the um, research led me to what what a clearance was and how do you get one? And you know, if you join the government, yeah, you know, requires a degree. Pretty much <laughs> every uh, every federal government job has has some type of requirement like that. And you wanted to go work for the government? Uh, I, you know, it wasn't um, something I set out initially to do. Um, but you know, after nine eleven, there was there was certainly more uh, desire to to want to join uh, the military after that, and, and more and, more more availability of options as well because yes, a lot more scholarships, an, an came insane along. amount of options. 
So, um, yeah, ended up signing up for uh, the army and did active tour of duty as well, right? Yes. Yep. I deployed to uh, Iraq for a year. Hi. We can. I don't want to talk about that. Like, that <laughs> stuff just it. it, it. Uh, so, but after the army. It was full bore into security. I think you got your start at Ironnet. Is that where all army, all ex-army guys get your start, right? <laughs> no. So uh, after I uh, left the military uh, and got out, I went to a small company to do penetration testing. I was still very, very interested in um, the offensive side and then uh, started learning more about uh, just cybersecurity in general, how an organization runs. Um, ended up leaving that organization to go back to the government uh, and work on really exciting things as a civilian. And then started realizing like, okay, I'm you know really challenging myself on the tech side, cybersecurity side, and found I was, I was very interested in mentoring and helping other people in their careers. So um, as a contractor in the government, you have limited capabilities to, um, to manage people. Like unless they're you know, part of the contract company you work for or something like that, you, can't, you don't manage uh, a government employee as, as a contractor. So um, my ability to help people in their career, and especially on the financial side, uh, you know, I can't give someone in the government a promotion, um, I, I found that you know, I wanted to get into management. I wanted to lead people. I wanted to uh, be the type of leader I wanted or, or folks I've worked with and admired and help build other people in their, in their careers, right? Whether they're just starting off or they've been doing it for 10, 15 years and, you know, want to go down a different path. Um, that led me to uh, synchronous technologies, and that pretty much started the ball of um, you know really working and the startup type environment building cybersecurity programs. Was that a big massive transition to to transition from government and government infrastructure and government service in that very very tightly controlled world where everything is strict and um, you know there's there are frameworks and everything is by the book and and folks complain there's no there's no there's no freedom to be creative and think and implement ideas differently. Is that fair? And was that a difficult transition for you getting into private sector, startup world and being hit with this kind of uh, breath of fresh air like people talk about? So uh, I I think there's certainly room to innovate. There's there's a lot of innovating things going on um, in federal government, regardless if it's defense or health. Um, but it certainly was um, eye opening. I don't know if it was a, a shock to the system, but it was definitely eye opening. Right, going from an organization where you don't talk about opex and capex, right? That isn't a conversation, <laughs> right? Right. right. Um, th- those types of things, the business side, budgeting uh, considerations, and those things yeah, are priorities, very, very- right? What what the business is going to prioritize? What's important? for the organization. Um, security doesn't always fall onto that list sometimes, right? Um, but in the government where you've got, you know, all of these regulations, you have to follow the rules. That's right. That is your option. Um, not always the case uh, when you come to the business side where, you know, it might not always be a requirement to have the highest level of security. So that that was um, that was an interesting challenge to to work through. 
Was there a mindset change that was required as well around um, security being like an enabler of the business and security folks having to kind of not be the blocker, which I which I imagine is the the goal and the objective of every security program is to, you know, remove blockers and help the organization do things securely. Not to say, don't use this tool, don't use this tool, or you can't use this, you can't use this, but, you know, educate them on using it securely and add the tools and, and whatever it is, products and so on to get them to use it securely. Was that, again, a different mindset change for you, just uh, uh, handling that transition? Absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, the importance of letting your opinions change with new information, I think was really important. You know, you, you come into it with a vision and an opinion, right? Leaving government, you know, I'm using that, that specific instance where it's, um, uh, more purist view, right? You do X, Y, and Z. You don't differ from that whatsoever. When you come to the business side, that, that doesn't always go over really well. Right. So um, that was a really good learning experience to, to really figure out, okay, you know, maybe my vision of perfect uh, doesn't actually need to be that. Maybe 80% is good enough. Right. And, and sometimes that, that really is the case. I think maybe more times than not, that is the case. You are a rare breed in CISO land, and I, I actually know this because we, um, we, we collaborate on some stuff, but you actually embrace vendor briefings. You embrace learning about new startups and new security uh, companies at a time when, oh my God, there's just so much fun and everyone has the, the, the solution for every problem and every yep. vendor, there's like 20 different vendors in every little category and subcategory. Why do you enjoy that at a time when your peers are just like enough with these vendors? Keep them away from me. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if everyone's saying that, but I think uh, if you're not participating in that conversation, it's really difficult to influence change. Like if you want a product to be different, if you want sales to be different, you've you've got to be in those conversations. Um, you know. Luckily, I'm in. Uh, I've been in organizations and, and been in uh, and, and had the ability, you know, to take that time and, and put time and effort into that. Uh, and I think it pays in the long run for the organization, right? For your organization, for, as well as as well as the vendor. But for your organization, what's the benefit to you and your organization that you can spend a lot of time in these vendor briefings with products you probably will never purchase, uh, with products you probably don't even have budget for? But it's an education piece for you to understand how certain things fit and how certain pieces fit in the organization. And it's important. F I'm trying to help some peers of yours understand why this is time well spent versus these hours and hours of these laborious sales calls. Yeah. How do you balance the need for to be on those calls and to be part of those conversations and influence what products look like and learn about how others are viewing things and how others are, are, are fitting their network pieces together. So how are you balancing that? I, I haven't seen every problem in the world and I, I certainly haven't solved every problem. So getting into those conversations and extracting that information from that vendor. Now it depends who you're talking to. It depends how, how, um, you know, new or old that company is. Um, but they've, they may have seen similar problems you're trying to solve, solved in a different way, solved in a better way. Um, I find that to be really valuable. And even 
you know, last year, I think I maybe was on a hundred plus different um demo calls it's full demo like i i don't do um, you don't do sales pitches right you want you're you're interested in 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 someone giving you a full walkthrough of what the product yes is. because at the the end of the day i want to be able to explain whatever it is i saw in that demo to someone else because you know in your course of uh, friendships you have with people in the industry, other CISOs, uh, practitioners, maybe hear someone talking about a problem. You're like, oh, I just, <laughs> you know, I just talked to a vendor that's, you know, claiming to solve that problem or, hey, I'm looking at switching out this vendor. Do you know anyone else that, that does X? Um, and it's always nice to, to help each other because, you know, obviously we can't all sit on every single vendor call. So if we're right. all kind of pitching in, doing a little and bit sharing of sharing notes. And, and that's the important so things important. for vendors to understand as well is that CISOs are sharing notes on these demo calls and CISOs are, are comparing pricing and so on. And that's why it's important for them to get these demos right. Yep. How, how, how many of these demos make your eyes bleed and your ears run? Um, uh, a very small percentage. I've, I've been on... You're um, a lucky man. <laughs> I've been on a lot of demos that have gone really well. Uh, I think where it trips people up sometimes is common they, mistake you see. Uh, they assume maybe I'm more technical than I am. Um, I, it's been years since I, you know, quote unquote, was hands on keyboards doing any. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, I've definitely been on calls where it's very clear uh, it's an engineer founded company and the conversation's just not getting at a, a high enough level where we're way down in the weeds on the very technical specifications of exactly how this tool works when I just want to know what what is it that it does. Like if you can't explain that in a few sentences, it's it's really hard for me to then go tell someone else about this product I just saw. Well, if you have months and months and months and agencies and a bunch of resources to build a website and explain what you do, and I still can't, I spent 15 minutes on your website and I still don't know what you do. I don't know how you can expect people to explain it for five minutes on a phone call. Uh, but that, but that, that common mistake of messing up uh, demos by making it either too technical can also go the other direction where there's a CISO who came through the trenches is very, very in the weeds and just wants to get down into the details without you giving me CSPM and all these acronyms, yeah. these Gartner acronyms, right? So there's a, there's a balance there as well that needs to be had. Maybe, maybe it's important for these companies to start double teaming some of these um, demo calls. I'm just trying to figure out how does it, how do we make your life and my life easier and still at the same time provide the right set of feedback to these vendors who need it. Yeah, I think it's um, you know maybe a little bit of uh, legwork on their side before the call. You know, whatever you can figure out. I, I know this is what every uh, experienced AE is going to do. Um, you know, jumping in to, to figure out okay, what's this person's background? Where have they worked? Can I tell if they've bought anything else? I mean, there's so many sales tools that I think most of uh, most folks in cybersecurity don't realize how much data about your buying habits are out there. <laughs> Right. Um, and, and the um, kind of street goes both ways, right? Salespeople are also sharing about, you know, that call, right? You know, this person was really great. They're an advocate, you know, all, all the, all the tactics that they use to, to do their job. Right. So um, I, I think things like solving whether the, the demos too technical or not technical enough 
So one of the questions that always pop up to me, especially you know, in this in this whole issue of taking vendor briefings and understanding what's happening in the industry, is that security is pretty expensive. Good security and building a mature security program, uh, even for startups. Well, even for big companies, it's pretty expensive to get everything right. There's just too many problems to solve just from the foundational layer all the way up to digital transformation and everything in the clouds. There's just too many problems to solve. On the startup side, it's even harder where there's the haves and the have-nots and security for startups. Again, very, very expensive. You wrote a book on securing the startup. The idea is to help founders understand how to treat security within their organizations, not necessarily for the security guy, right? This is for for the entrepreneur and the founder. Yes, and the exactly. big question to you is: Is it even is it even possible to secure the startup uh, without significant budget? Uh, I believe so. Um, that's that's what I get to in my book, and I think uh, what I really like is over the years, and I talk about it in the book where I've I've kind of distilled everything down into: Okay, we've got this giant thing called cybersecurity. How do we approach it? Um, and you can think of this as three uh, concentric circles, so one within the other. Um, the very center circle is data, right? You, as the founding team or founder, um, most likely know what data you have, whatever it is you're building, whatever the startup is. Um, you probably have a good idea of what data you're going to have or what data you have already. Um, you probably have a good idea of where that is. So starting at that point, right? So you're not trying to boil the ocean and figure out every little thing you need to do. Then uh, going out another circle is uh, where that data lives, the systems it's on, whether it's uh, SaaS or in your environment, in a data closet somewhere, um, focusing on those specific systems. And one more step out to the identity, right? Who or what has access to those systems or that data? So if you start there, right, you're not, you're not jumping all over the place of like, oh, should we go secure our ticketing system? I know there's sensitive data in there. Should we go secure... Um, the sales apps we use to, um, you know, record and note take uh, our sales calls. Um, you know, there's so much data created, especially in a cloud native startup. Um, you, you could spend your entire career just <laughs> focusing on trying to secure that stuff. So a founder can start there and really, really have an impact long term on their organization's maturity, right? Starting starting from those points, I believe. And that's what you mean by baking security into the into the organization from from ground up, right? Yep. And uh, I, I chose that word uh, because you can't really add new ingredients to a cake after it comes out of the oven, right? You can't change the the chemistry of it at though. You put a bunch of icing on it, um, but it doesn't change the chemistry of the cake. And I think um, you look at a company Company that was founded and then then started saying, "Oh, hey, we need security." Ten years later, it's it's much more difficult. I, I don't think that's a new. On. I don't think I'm saying a new thing there at all. Yeah, it's pretty difficult to bolt it on afterwards. Yeah. Uh, what what startups what startups are essentially doing though is outsourcing security to a, a bigger vendor, right? Like, so your email will come from Office 365, or if you're G Suite, you're gonna just outsource your email security to them and and kind of hope that whatever base level you get from them is enough. Yep. And is that 
I mean, when is when does it become an inflection point where you're no longer outsourcing these things? And how does a startup know that okay, now I need to start bringing some of this expertise in house, or I need to start bolting on on top of the defaults? And can a startup get away with just the defaults from these, you know, just basic fundamental to, uh, business tools? Yep. There's, there's a few things. Um, one is uh, reflecting on what type of business you're building, right? Are you building a uh, mobile gaming app um, that's not going to have any sensitive data, really? You know, maybe username and password, something like that. Um, or are you building a startup in the health space and you're developing a new treatment for cancer, right? Those are very very different threat models and threat profiles. Um, and it also, most- it also depends on the funding level of the organization as well. If, if the, is the startups, is it, is it an early stage startup with seed funding and you're just trying to feel things out or, you know, have you gotten 50 million CVC or whatever the latest millions is for these crazy, crazy valuations, right? Yep. A lot of it is when, a lot of it is how well you're funded and resourced to. Exactly. It's, it's almost like you uh, may have read a early copy of my book. Uh, so that's the other, the other part, right? There's so many different um, metrics a founder can use. Um, and exactly what you said, what's the funding level? A, B series, probably a good time to start thinking about bringing someone in-house, um, probably still outsourcing most of that technology. Um there's uh, also looking at uh, customers, right? Are you transitioning from friendly lighthouse customers where it's, you know, f- kind of friends and family, you've reached out to your network. Hey, you know, can, can we sign you up as design partner? It's completely free. Now you're bringing on uh, folks that uh, maybe you're not friendly. Uh, you know, you don't know them personally, you're, you're selling to them. Uh, that, that's another uh, possible point where you, where you start thinking about, okay, now it's time to bring in someone full time. And this is a risk I no longer want to accept as the, the CEO or CTO or COO, um, you know, part of that founding team. When, what's the hardest part of being the CISO at the startup? Uh, for me in patience, probably varies. Things never move fast enough. Um, even though like at a startup, it, it moves incredibly fast. You know, I've, I've been at Crossbeam now three months and we've done just an insane amount of work in, in that short period of time. Um, but for me, it's, you know, it's never enough. I want, I want to do more, you know, I could work till midnight every night and, you know, I enjoy it. Right. Cause this, this is really what I love doing. What's next. Um, the book comes out when? Uh, it starts shipping uh, at the end of this month uh, from Wiley, uh, and then should be shipping from you know big retailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, probably early May. What's the one big, what's the one big takeaway from the book that you're hoping resonates with uh, the audience? I would hope that after a founder reads through the book that they have a better understanding of what they actually need to prioritize. Um, and I, I point out in there, there, there's a couple key chapters that like, if you're, if you're not going to read anything else, um, it's, it's the chapter on identity and protecting your, uh, the way you log into things, especially at a SaaS company. That's, 
that's kind of the first step, right? You log into your email. Suddenly now your email is the key access to everything, right? That's where you get your, might get an MFA notification. Uh, and then probably closely following that is, is kind of your endpoint security. I think those are the, the two primary ones because that kind of predicates after that what I was talking about earlier, right? Starting with the data, moving out to the system, and then and then the identity. Um, I think those are really key. And I asked this question the last time we were here, and I ask every every guest, what is a bit of innovation and technology you've seen? And you might be the perfect person to talk about this with, with, with all the vendor briefings that you willingly and happily take. Pieces of technology and pieces of innovation that's impressive, that you like, that... that, that holds promise any uh there's there's a few um i'm really interested in the space that's being built now by folks like uh do control and altitude networks what i kind of view it as uh incident response and control i I think uh i think gartner calls it uh cloud detection response maybe or something like that whatever whatever the, the terminology is um, but I think those are really interesting pieces because now, again, a startup born and built in the cloud, that's that's where all your data lives, right? Whether it's uh, OneDrive or G Drive or Box or Dropbox, um, I, I think there's some interesting things being applied there where it's a problem I've seen kind of over and over again even outside of startups where you see much larger enterprises now adopting things and moving to whether it's Google Workspace or or O365 and migrating all of that that used to be on-prem and maybe not having all the right policies in place to control where where that data goes. Maybe it's a little bit of a DLP play or, or something like that, but I think that space is really interesting. Um, closely followed by what's happening kind of in the MDR space. Uh, so companies like uh, Cyvitar or um, Ponderance, they're, uh, I think, taking a much different approach to um, what we define an MSSP or an MDR as. And I think really prioritizing how a startup works, right? And you're, not, big, on, you're big on outsourcing that, that piece as well, the, the, the detection and response piece. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I talk about that in the book. Um, you're not going to hire 32 people to build a follow the sun sock in a 50 person startup. That's just makes no sense. Your board's not going to say okay to that hiring plan. Um, so you've got to find creative ways. I think finally the market is catching up and, and seeing this problem that I think people have been talking about for a very long time. Um, where, where it can help you scale, right? And and do it really securely. Fantastic conversation. We can go on and on. Come back on the show again. Let's talk. Uh, when, the, when, the, when the book comes out, I know there's a lot of folks waiting uh, to actually get a read of the book. I actually got an early look at it and I can recommend it. I can vouch for it. So uh, uh, let me just say this to your face. Thank you for writing the book. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of startup founders and entrepreneurs who are not necessarily security centric and are not as plugged into the inside baseball of security like the rest of us that could really, really benefit from it. So thank you for writing it and best of luck. 
with everything else, Chris. I appreciate that. And I, I uh, thank you again for having me on for a second time. Um, and I do want to mention uh, uh, and thank everyone that's pre-ordered the book. Uh, anyone that that hears this and decides to go out and order a copy uh, for themselves or maybe a founder they know, um, I am donating uh, 100% of my proceeds uh, from the book for the first year. Uh, to a charity called Homes for Our Troops. They build uh, custom-built homes for disabled veterans. In addition to Amazon.com and all the online bookstores at Wiley, I'll probably put it, uh, uh, is there a website? Is there a place people can actually find maybe some blogs? Like where can we find you and your work? Uh, LinkedIn right now. And uh, the website will be live once the uh, book is shipping. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks.